Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Spirited Conversations. Ooh, ah. My name is Pastel Sparkles. And it's me, Lemon. Honestly, we, we so last week we had a our first drinks, which mm. for you was... Vodka Cruiser. Vodka Cruiser. And for me was a bourbon and coke. This week we've actually... Put effort in. Well, this is our our actual plan. So, Th- like, the, this is the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, going forward, we'd like to have every podcast be themed on a different cocktail. And because we're coming up to Halloween this weekend, mm. we thought we would have one that was a little bit spooky. <laughs> yeah. Or counter spooky, maybe. I don't know. It depends. Depends. So. The drink, obviously you guys are seeing the title, so I don't have to be too coy about this, but we are drinking a Corpse Reviver, which up until recently, I didn't really know kind of the the purpose of the drink. Like, it's one of the top 50 cocktails, and it's got a very ominous sounding name, but it has a really cool history. I, I, I don't know the history. You looked it up. All I know is I made it. And there's a lot of things that have gone in this. Oh, by the way, this is Corpse Reviver number two. Yes, number two. So there are four different Corpse Reviver cocktails. Damn. They all come from the Savoy cocktail book. And the Corpse Reviver cocktails are actually meant to be a family of cocktails that are hangover cures. I just, like, I get the, I've heard the logic of like, you know, oh, you're hungover, like have a beer in the morning. And it'll cure your hangover. I don't know if it does. It just, it just gets you your... drink, uh, drunk again. Yeah. Like, uh, j- uh, but anyway, this was what, the 30s? Yes. So, so it originated in the Prohibition. Yeah. So it's a 30s drink. And yeah, very cool. I'm, I'm very excited. Should we try it now? Absolutely. Wait, should we tell everyone what's in it first? Yes. So I'll go through. I'll actually <laughs> yeah, go through go. what's in it. Um, so it is very simple to make and maybe like the ingredients were simple purely because you're hungover and you're just trying to throw something together. There's no fancy pants ingredients. You're going to throw it in a shaker with ice. And for this, it's a three quarter shot of Contro. Well, we use Contro. It's meant to be triple sec. Mm. Um, but which is pretty much just like a citrusy uh, drink. So that's already I can smell it. It is very citrusy. It smells amazing. Yeah. And then you've also got equal parts with, uh, I keep forgetting the name of the wine one. What's the? So it's called Lillette Blanc. Lillette Blanc. Lillette Blanc. Yeah. Yeah, Um, It's it's in the, like, usually I always speak French, but I just, you know. (laughs) Um, not feeling like it today. Uh, um, it can be substituted for v- vermouth. In most cases, I think it actually is. Uh, certainly in the number one, it's vermouth. But for some reason, it went to a like a soury wine. Yeah, just they're trying to sound fancy, I think. Yeah. Then it's also got a dry gin, but for, you know, a bit of a spooky, spooky feel. We've gone for a violet gin in this one. Yeah. Uh, it's a local Adelaide gin, I believe. 23rd Street? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's purple, so it's sort of made like this purpley drink. It looks amazing. It's like a... Like- pastel goth kind of feel (laughs) and then you've also got lemon juice in there as well but not in a you know terms of service kind of way actual lemon juice and what sorry (laughs) i'm getting spooky (laughs) Uh, and it's also got you know just for measure a dash of absinthe yeah Um, so yeah this is gonna be a time it smells amazing yeah all right Let's give it a give it a drink. Oh, it's a lot of alcohol. (laughs) But the thing is, though, usually you know when you're like just like sip straight spirit or whatever, Mm. you get that real like yeah. You know, a lot of the time, this is very pleasant. This is so nice. (laughs) It's it's yeah. I'm I'm sort of getting um, it coming through in like bursts. So I'm getting a lot of the citrus, like yeah. the from the Contro and the lemon juice. But then as that sort of dies down, I'm getting more of the gin, like aftertaste. Mm. To me, it just tastes like a tealful orange juice. <laughs> oh, shout out tealful. Shout out tealful. So for those 
who haven't heard the stories, a teal paw is a very special kind of paw <laughs> uh, from our friend Tealful, who who makes a orange juice and vodka in equal parts. Yeah, so it's, it's half a... vodka, half orange juice. And that's, to me, all I can taste is an extremely alcoholic citrus drink. <laughs> yeah, it it's... It is a very strong alcoholic taste, but it's not a, it's not unpleasant. It's, it's not it's a kick. actually really quite nice. Yeah, it's like not a kick to the teeth. Yeah, but I, I, I know, like as we are sipping down, going through this, we are, we are gonna be slurring. I think. I, I, there, I feel it. Yeah. There is a lot in this. Thankfully, we have eaten beforehand, so hopefully <laughs> that calms it down. Yeah. Um, but anyway. So, so a bit of a theme. So we're doing like a spooky, spooky theme for this podcast. Yeah. We're going over, well, I know you've got some... Some urban legends yes. and things like that. Uh, we kind of, yeah, wanted to really jump into a spooky vibe because, you know, Halloween's here and we're all thriving in this beautiful time. So I've got some stories from around the world, but I think you've got some stories that are... Australian, more Australian. Well, yeah, kind of. I've I've got some urban legends uh, that haven't been disproven, uh, and then we're throwing in, you know, the the classic Australian legend, uh, which we'll get to later. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm going for a bit more of a you know homegrown. These stories and these urban legends haven't actually been disproven, and there's a lot of like. Sort of conspiracy, I suppose, sort of things to some of them, and it's a bit of a woo. <laughs> um, but you've just got legit like straight urban up. legend horror shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of them is definitely more like fairy tale vibes, but um, hey, fairies are scary. Yeah, that's um, why they rhyme. But the but the other ones are definitely like I I might cry talking about them because they're just yeah frightening but yeah me all right so we're gonna go for a bit of a cheeky little story uh from good old australia <laughs> now this one uh it's it's something that it creeped me out when i read it i was like okay like sometimes happenstances happen as as, as, sure. as you would, right? You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, those two things just happen to coincide. That's fine. And I'm actually going to show you this photo. And what we might do is we might post this photo up online as well. Mm -hmm. But there was a family in 1979. They were waiting for a ferry to go from Circular Quay over to Luna Park in right. Sydney. Yeah. So... Sydney, it blew my mind when I first went there because, you know, you've got, like, your bus tickets and stuff like that. But you have your bus ticket to go on a boat. It's so weird for me. <laughs> I just... It, that, that in itself is scary. Um, anyway, <laughs> but so this family, they were waiting for the ferry to come. And then all of a sudden this person approached them in a weird, like, outfit. No idea why. And this was also in June, so it's not like it was around Halloween or anything like that. And he came up, went to the six-year-old son's shoulder, and they took a photo because they were like, oh, wow, okay, that's really weird outfit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the picture. Uh-huh. <gasps> no, so, no, 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 no. So <laughs> he's sort of like in a loincloth kind of thing, and that's almost it with a cape a full face mask kind of thing with horns and everything like that. It's very weird. Yeah. Anyway, so they were like, okay, that's weird. A few hours later, the six-year-old boy, his four-year-old brother, and the father were all killed when a fire ripped through the Lunar Park ghost train. Whoa. So, and everyone's just like, oh, you know, uh, that sort of, you know, can, you know, coincidence. But everyone's like, why? Why was he there? Why did he take that? Like, why was he just standing there and shit? And why did he get the photo with him? And then that happens? Yeah. Like, ugh. Wait, so when did this happen? 79. Oh so my 1979. God. And it, they don't know who it was. They don't know who the man was. That's so wild. Wait, so are there, like, news reportings of this? Like, of the fire? Yes. Wow. So, but th there's no idea who the person is or anything like that. And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories saying, 
well, why, you know, is there a coincidence? Like, why was he there and then there was a fire? Yeah. Like, that's so strange to have happened and also happened to get the people that he went up to. Yeah. Like, so, ooh. ooh. Right? How's that? Oh, good, good. It gives me bad vibes. Like, I definitely feel like there's probably a bit of a leap there to just flat out say, like, oh, yeah, this, this guy did it. Oh, 100%. But, like, it's still creepy yeah but the thing is we they don't even know who he is yeah like he's just they're gone well, gone or something i don't know but there's nothing else to it they mm. don't know who he was um i'm not too sure maybe maybe we can have a bit of a look later as to you know if the fire was uh like a uh, accident fire or if it was started fire or what but mm. Creepy. Okay, I might I might look that up when you're getting into your first story, but ooh, yeah, I thought that that's a good way to start us off. Oh yeah. Well mine my first story is something that is kind of close to me. My birthday is two days after Halloween, which is the same kind of day ish time. Happy birthday. Thank you. As the Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos. So I've picked up a story from sort of Latin American stories, which I think a lot of people will be familiar with because of the movie Coco, the Disney movie Coco that came out a shout few out years ago. Coco. Bloody shout out. But yeah, so this is the story of La Llorona. I'm so sorry to ruin your story just then. But I just couldn't help but get the theme song for Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in my head when you're like, here's a little story. <laughs> sorry, continue. And this is the final podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, in a rural village in Mexico, there once lived a beautiful young woman named Maria. She came from a poor family, but was known around the village for her beauty and her grace despite her shortcomings. One day, an extremely wealthy nobleman was riding through her village and stopped in his tracks once laying eyes upon Maria. He had travelled all over the world and had never seen anyone as beautiful as her. He was mesmerised by her beauty He knew that he had to win her heart, and because she was easily charmed, when he proposed to her, she immediately accepted. The two got married and Maria gave birth to two sons. Because her husband was always travelling, he stopped spending time with his family, and when he did come home, he only paid attention to the children, which made Maria really upset. At the time, Maria could tell her husband was falling out of love with her, because she was growing older and losing her youthful beauty, which is fucking gross. Hate this <laughs> out of 10. One day he returned to the village with a younger woman and bid his children farewell, completely ignoring Maria. <laughs> it's like, bye kids. <laughs> Peace. Maria, angry and hurt, took her children to the river and in a blind rage drowned them. Once she realized what she had done, she searched for her children, but the river had already carried them away. Days later, her husband returned and asked about the children, but Maria started to weep and admitted that she had drowned them. Her husband was furious and said that she couldn't be with him unless she found their children. You know, just completely ignoring the other lady that he's collected along the way. Yeah, right. Now she spends eternity looking for her lost children. It is said that if you hear her crying, you must run in the opposite direction. Maria kidnaps wandering children at night, mistaking them for her lost children. She begs to the heavens for forgiveness and drowns the children that she kidnaps. People who claim to have seen her say she appears at night or in the late evening by rivers and lakes wearing a white gown with a veil. So creepy. That's not cool. Yeah. Um. Ugh. Something that I read about with these kinds of tales is that, like, there's tons of stories about uh, women, you know, wearing different colored clothing or whatever. But there's yeah. actually meaning behind the colors of the clothing for a lot of the stories. Like, in this case, the reason why she's wearing a white gown, or at least in a lot of the stories, is because that's meant to be her wedding dress. So, you know, the corpse bride and those stories, it's all wearing a white dress because it's meant to symbolize the the wedding gown. So, yeah, a lot of, uh, like, young ghostly characters are often depicted with a wedding gown. Either they were close to getting married or they'd just been married. That's always so creepy. So creepy. Both my story, even though I know the story and I told it, and then that story, 
I've had like goosebumps all over my body <laughs> and this is going to be a time. Mm. <laughs> um, also, I found out some more information, by the way, mm. about the fire. Yeah. So there were actually seven people uh, had died in that fire, mm. uh, the one adult, six children. And initially it was suspected that there was an electrical fault that caused the fire. Right. But then there were suspicions that it was actually arson and sabotage that caused it. And there has been no official ruling as to how the fire started. Wow. So it's just a cold case now. Pretty much. That's so frightening. Yeah. And and it just sort of makes you... God, the goosebumps are back. It just sort of makes you think like, <laughs> who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. I want to know about them. Ah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, let me let me scare us with another one. You know, let, let's, let's stick in Sydney because, you know... A lot of my stories right now, I'm going to be honest, are from Sydney and Melbourne because those two just need to like flex their penises to see how cool they are. I'm and, like, surprised you don't have any from Adelaide given that we're murder capital. Yeah, I know, but that's not like, like that's just straight up murders that we know. Right. Like that's not, ooh, weird, oh, unexplained, <laughs> creepy. That's just Found bodies in a barrel. <laughs> Found bodies in a barrel. Chopped them up and pushed them away in a pram. Like, yeah. And yes, those are all real. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fucking terrifying. But look, we don't think about that. Anyway, uh, let's let's stay in Sydney for this one. So we're, 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 we're going all the way back to 1928. <laughs> and uh, we're looking at the construction of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, big bridge, famous bridge. Look at it. Oh, so harbory. And there has been proven records that... There were 16 official deaths during the construction of that. Yeah. Because big bridge, long time ago, not very good at building stuff. Yeah. And also, you know, what is, uh, you know, safe working conditions. So we progress a little bit further and there is an urban legend suggesting that there were actually three further deaths that were not documented. And it goes to the point where the the big brick pylons that are holding it up, three men went down there to finally get some extra stuff, but weren't seen going down there. And they were actually bricked up Uh. and Uh. no one noticed. And then by the time they found out that, oh, we think they've gone down there, it was already way too long into construction and because they were in, under so much pressure to get it done quickly, they were never retrieved and they were sealed inside. So th- this isn't proven, of course, but, you know, there's the whole sort of story that there are three people buried within the Sydney Harbour Bridge and have been left there. Ooh. I didn't know that. You When you first, like gave me the story like just the brief of it i you were like sydney harbour bridge creepy shit and i was like i have no fucking idea what you're talking about and it's even, creepy shit and it's a sydney harbour bridge well even now like even hearing that i still don't know that story at all i didn't know that at all it's like uh the titanic story yeah like i, I had heard that before actually that mm. there were people buried under there but i didn't actually know until researching it a bit for this that, you know, the legend is that it was an accident and therefore, like, they were left behind and then just therefore not documented wow. as as casualties of the construction because they were like, uh, we fucked up, who cares, just keep going. Wow, that's not if, a surprise, though. Yeah, well, especially back, and that's yeah, what makes it then. believable because, you know, in order for that to be documented, they would have to get their bodies, they'd have to retrieve their bodies, and that would take so much extra time undoing stuff. Yeah. So they sort of just... Like, and, and it just makes you go, oh, God. Because let's say that is true. Yeah. Imagine being those guys. Well, you'd be dead, so. Well, no, <laughs> no, but, like, if there was something down there that, you know, if they yeah. were in a cavity or something like that. <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Okay. That's how I've interpreted it. So they're just sitting down there and they're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're dead. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Creepy. All right, anyway, what do you got for us? So now I'm taking you all the way to Japan. The reason that I picked this story is because I played a game where this was actually a really big part of the story. So I am talking about the yokai Gushisake Onna, which is actually 
a kind of ghost story that propped up in 79. So it's kind of recent. That's, yeah, that's very recent. Like a lot of the stories that I'm talking about are kind of 1600s, 1700s. This one is very recent in my opinion. Yeah. Because a lot of those like urban legends, like the ones that you were looking up, uh. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're classics yeah. and they're back when things couldn't be explained exactly. and that's sort of where they've come from. Yeah. But as soon as you get more recent, like, like that, the story I think story it makes that, it creepier. It makes it so much creepier. Yeah. Especially like the, the, like the one that I read, the fire one, mm. because it's so recent. Like, yeah. you know, I say so recent, it was like 50 years ago or something almost. Yeah. Yeah. 40 years ago, but still, you yeah. know, it's, ooh. So this story is about a woman who was mutilated and died and now the ghost has come to wreak havoc. So her name comes from the deep bloody gash that runs across her face, grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. She appears at night to lone travelers, particularly to children, on the road, covering her mouth with a cloth mask or a fan or a handkerchief. And according to the legend, children walking alone at night may encounter the woman wearing a surgical mask, which isn't uncommon in Japan. And, you know, thinking about now with the pandemic, Mm. everyone should be. Should be. (laughs) Should be wearing (laughs) masks, right? So, like, you know, Kuchisake Ono is really out for business right now. Right, yeah. Watch out. (laughs) so the woman will stop children and ask am i pretty the trick is that there's no correct answer to her question if the children answer no the child is killed with a pair of scissors that the woman carries with her oh yeah if the child answers yes the woman pulls away the mask revealing the mouth that is slit from ear to ear and asks how about now if the child answers no they'll be cut in half and if the child answers yes then she'll slit their mouth just like hers. Oh, no. Yeah, so they can be beautiful together. It's oh. impossible to run away from her because she'll simply reappear in front of the victim. One of the strategies that people teach to escape from Kuchisakaona is to answer ambiguously by saying, you're average or so-so. Unsure of how to react, the woman will give the person enough time to escape while she's lost in thought. Another option is to ask her if she thinks that you're pretty. So, like, you could say to her, well, do you think I'm pretty? She becomes confused and then just leaves. Another way to escape her is to tell her that you have a previous engagement and she'll pardon her manners and excuse herself. In other versions of the tale, she can be distracted by fruit or candies thrown at her. (laughs) Which (laughs) she'll... (laughs) Just peg an apple at their head. Yeah. (laughs) Which she'll then pick up, giving the victim a chance to run away. But, like, the belief with that is that she... Like, you can't run from her, right? That's what the the tale says. So all of these kind of ambiguous ways to get her to go away, I'm like... Yeah, but she could just run after you. Like, you can't escape her. If she's chosen you as a victim, you're fucked. By the sounds of it, she doesn't even need to run after you. She's just in front of you again. Yeah, she just reappears. Like, fuck that. Yeah, because she's a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought she gets on a little tricycle and chases you. Oh. Um, no, okay, so that's um that's creepy. Yeah, so the game that I played that with that story was called Red Bow. It's a little indie game. Oh, I know that game. Yeah. The oh, game... is that what that's based on? Yeah, so that's it's... That's terrifying. It's like a horror game where your character is dead, I'm pretty sure. And so your character navigates different yokai. The game is very short, though, so like it doesn't really go too much into detail. But yeah, the Kuchisake Ona is one of the main characters in it. And so I was very familiar with the whole Am I Pretty thing. It's so creepy. That's really creepy. And like the whole like, oh, how about now? And you don't want to be rude. Yeah. So you're like, oh, yeah. And she's yeah, like, you're oh, beautiful. sweet. It, that, that gave me, and it makes sense, maybe that's where the inspiration came from. So we're going we're gonna to jump into old mate Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. And in The Dark Knight, there's one of the lines, you know how the Joker makes up stories all the time on how he got his scars. Yeah. And one of his things were that his wife had the big scars like that and she thought she wasn't pretty. So ah! So he cuts his mouth like that to match her so he can be pretty like her so she can see that. Mm. And then she's terrified of him instead. 
So I'm seeing it like that's almost like a direct. So maybe that's where he got the inspiration for that part of that story. Yeah. The cool thing about looking up these stories is that you can see where a lot of other stories have pulled their inspiration from. Yeah. Oh, it's really stuck with me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's um, I, I think that's the worst part when you can't avoid it. Yeah. Like, that's fucked. the scariest thing. It's like, you got to confuse. What is beauty? Define beauty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just have a full. Philosoph. Okay. The alcohol has really gotten to me. Philosophical? A philosophical debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's. 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 um. Yeah, no, nah, do not like. Yeah, no. Nope. Like. Nope, nope, nope. Anyway, so here we're. So we're jumping back. We're going into Victoria for this one. Mm. This one is. It's a bit more extraterrestrial. sort of thing which i always like because hey we're not alone and no they haven't been here yeah you know it is statistically impossible that there is no other life form within the entire known you know universe yeah but no they haven't flown here and like probed your butt i'm sorry (laughs) but this one though comes to april 6th of 1966 Mm -hmm. it was in the morning and it's Australia's largest mass UFO sighting. Right. And it took place in Westall in Victoria. So I think that's just east, just east of Victoria. So Just east of Melbourne. Just east of Melbourne. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like you're in Victoria. It's almost you're like we're ocean. drinking very strong <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, so students and teachers from Westall High School and Westall State School, as well as members of the public, had claimed that they had seen three large metallic objects with no obvious markings silently go through the sky. Mm. You know, when one person's like... <laughs> but yeah, but apparently it's a mass, like lots of people saw it. Mm. The objects had then landed in a paddock adjacent to the schools before quickly flying away leaving large circles of flattened grass as well as well-defined discoloured edges. So it's like it had been burnt or, you know, it's changed the grass on the paddock. Mm. Within the hours following the incident, emergency services, military and media were all in attendance in the area. So why were they there? Who knows? Several witnesses as well, so this is teachers, students, as well as members of the public, all have said that they had very sharply dressed men in black suits warn them not to speak about the incident. Come up to them and tell them, don't talk about what you've seen. Obviously it didn't work because they then yeah. told them about the people in the fucking suits. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're really not, like, helping too much there if that was the case. Australians be dumb. Yeah. You must account for this. <laughs> um, so there have been actually, there, there was more than 100 primary witnesses that had seen this happen. Mm. So it's very strange that it was at such a large scale, which is the very unusual thing, as well as happening like literally in the middle of the day because it was at about 11 a.m. So, yeah, so people are very, very confused. And, you know, at the time, government agencies, federal and state just refused to comment about it. And there is so (laughs) in 2014, the government released some documents. The documents revealed that a secret radiation testing project known as the Highball program was to blame. It was a joint US-Australian initiative developed to monitor atmospheric radiation levels using large silver balloons. Right. So that's, that's all the information that was released on the sort of explanation of what all these people saw. Right. But... People are still like, well, then why was emergency services, military and all that there? Why did they come land and then take off? Like balloons don't do that, like monitoring balloons. They go high into the atmosphere and monitor high in the atmosphere. They wouldn't land and take off by themselves Yeah, because they can't generate more gases and stuff. So, uh, yeah. And there was newspaper articles and everything about it going, what the hell have people seen? And yeah. That Very reminds strange. me of a story, like a true story that happened where there was this. Hey, well, this actually, is a true story as well. Thank you very well, much. I mean, actually, this is, <laughs> this is true, but like a rumor, you know, like it was on the news, oh, yes. but it was. I think it was proven to be false. Where this family had this 
I was like this kid that was in this tinfoil balloon. Do you remember? It was it was like everywhere oh. in the last like not it's maybe been fifteen years or so. I feel so. This is ringing a bell. Continue. Like I feel like it was a balloon, and they were they got stuck in the air, but like obviously they didn't. But a child was meant to be in there. I don't even remember where it was. I know it was publicized in Australia, but for some reason I think it was in England. Do you remember? Mm. No. It's it's like hitting like little bells in my head, but I'm not actually getting exactly what it would be like. I'm, I'm not remembering it exactly. I'm going to do a little search. Do a little tippy tap. Balloon Boy hoax. It was 2009. So the Balloon Boy hoax occurred in October 15, 2009, wherein a homemade helium-filled gas balloon shaped to resemble a flying saucer was released into the atmosphere above Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, it was America. Uh, by Richard and Mayumi Heen. Uh, they claimed that their six-year-old boy, Falcon, fucking hell, was trapped inside. <laughs> Who the fuck calls your kid Falcon and you don't you expect him to fly away? Talk. Oh, my, oh, okay. What? I was going to say, your family has some interesting names for their kids anyway. Okay, yeah, but, you know, Falcon. Authorities confirmed that the balloon reached 7,000 feet or 2,100 meters for those of you who have, you know, gone into the future and actually know what measurements are. Huh. Wow. During the 90-minute flight, the event attracted the whole world and falcon was nicknamed the balloon boy by the media suspicions of a hoax soon arose particularly after an interview with wolf blitzer on larry king live that same evening asked why he was hiding falcon said to his father you guys said that um we did this for a show on october 18th so three days later Larimer County Sheriff Jim Alderon announced mm-hmm. his conclusion that the incident was a hoax and that his parents would likely face several fel- felony charges. On November 13th, uh, Richard Heen pleaded guilty to attempting to influence a public servant. He was sentenced to 90 days in jail in order to pay 36 grand Wowza. in restitution and Miami Heen was sentenced to 20 days of weekend jail. What's weekend jail? You just go on the weekend? <laughs> That's what. So it's like adult detention. What is this? Sounds dumb. You don't get your lunch breaks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Following the incident, the Heen family maintains their innocence, claiming they were pressured into a guilty plea under the threat that Mayumi. Oh, that Mayumi was going to be deported. But yeah, that that's what that reminded me of. Fun scene. Yeah. Wow. The one that I have is one that I feel like a lot more people are going to be familiar with. With, like media such as the crucible uh, that got turned into a movie so i feel like people are going to be very aware of the salem witch trials oh yeah yeah so the story that i have for you today is half hanged mary so mary webster was born in england in 1624 so quite a while ago She's a little bit old. Yeah, a little bit old. She then moved to Massachusetts and married in 1670 so if you do the maths uh, she was about 42 Oh. Which is different to the Crucible in where she's portrayed as kind of a 17, 18-year-old. I don't know why they did that. Anyway, continuing well, the story. <laughs> Mary and her husband had very little money and lived in a very small house and often relied on the charity of the town to survive. Poverty and neglect did not improve Mary's famously fiery temper. She spoke harshly when she was offended and the townsfolk called her a witch and abused her lack of composure. The townsfolk believed that Mary put a spell on their cattle and horses so that they couldn't go past her house. The drivers found her and beat her so that the animals could pass. She once walked into a house and a hen fell down a chimney into boiling water and it left a scold mark on her body, which the neighbors, upon discovering it, began calling it a witch's mark. That's so wild. Like, you know, just because she was a bit angry because she was upset about not having money, all these people fucking villainized her. Anyway, oh, it's I've I've got an interesting uh, story about that, but I'll I'll, I'll tell it after after old Mary. <laughs> On March twenty seventh, sixteen eighty three, in the Northampton County Court, the magistrates examined Mary on suspicion of witchcraft. She was moved a month later to Boston, where they decided to indict her. Uh, for not having a f- the fear of God before her eyes and being instigated by the devil. They claimed that she had entered into a covenant and had familiarity with the devil. Mary was later found not guilty and was returned home. Yeah, because that sounds like fucking bullshit. 
Mary still faced persecution at home. A year and a half later, a prominent citizen named Philip Smith died a painful death. And many of the men in town were easily convinced that Mary had something to do with Philip's death, seeking someone to blame to ease the pain. The men dragged Mary out of her home and hung her up until she was near dead. They let her down and then rolled her in the snow and buried her. They left her there, but somehow she managed to survive. Mary Webster earned the nickname Half-Hanged Mary and lived for another 11 years, no doubt adding to the suspicion of her being a witch. And that's the end of that. But, like, okay, so if you're getting to the point where you're, like, hanging people and you're doing all that shit because you think they're a witch and they didn't die when you attempted it, why wouldn't you attempt it again? I just think, like, so, okay, obviously they did something wrong for her to have not died, right? Yeah. But, like, in their brain, they did enough to have killed her. So the fact that she didn't die from it just, like, really continues that suspicion, right, of her being... Like, how did you... You survived an unsurvivable thing, and you'd have to be a witch. How did she live on for another 11 years? That That's the that's the thing. It's like... So, surely people would have seen her then. Right? right? Well, they did. They did, yeah. So, so, why wouldn't you go, hang on a ticket? Didn't we kill you? I think from some of the stories that I've read... They said that she was still, like, abused like she was before. So, like, you know how they thought that she'd put a spell on the cattle and horses? Right. They used little things that she did as an excuse to abuse her, you know, those kinds of things. Ostracize her. Which is so wild. Like, in The Crucible, I'm pretty sure they insinuate that she dies. But, yeah, so because, obviously, the Salem witch trials were true, Mary Webster is a figure of the time, I don't believe that her story is meant to be true, but I don't doubt that the actions that happened to her in the story, like this is from a poem, that they didn't happen to real people. I'm sure they happened to real real people because yeah. people be dumb. People be dumb now and they're proving that, COVID, <clears throat> you know? So, like, I, I wouldn't put it past people when they had even less information to do this to someone. Yeah. So, like, I remember hearing about this and one of the common misconceptions about witches is they would burn them at the stake. And almost no one was burned at the stake. They would hang them. Yeah, it's way easier. Yeah. Um, You don't have to reset up stuff. Yeah. The one thing that sort of screws around with all of that for me is when people are like, you know, we think you're a witch. Oh, do you have proof? we don't think you're really you know i looked into your eyes i didn't see god yeah oh okay fucking (laughs) i'm surprised that she was found not guilty like that should be enough of an excuse to leave her alone you can hate someone without making their life the worst you know yeah she could be a foul mouth bitch leave her alone it's it's (laughs) yeah it's a it's a time but i remember hearing so many times back then when they would go Okay, here's the test that we're going to do to see if you're a witch. If you're a witch, this will kill you. Yeah. If not, you're going to die. Well, (laughs) either way, you did. What was the point of it? (laughs) There was like, there was the ones when they would throw them in the water to drown them. And if they drowned, they were human. And if they floated, they were a witch, so they would kill them. Just fucking kill the person. (laughs) Yeah, like they're going to die by that logic anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bloody people are stupid. Yes. All right, let's see what we're stupid enough to believe in your next story. <laughs> oh, okay, so this one, I, I do not believe as as much as it would be great, because, well, great, but fucking terrifying. Yeah. We're, we're, we're stepping to a bit of a bit of Australia's own Nessie we're talking about here. Oh. Yeah, and the Hawkesbury River Monster. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's, there's this uh, monster that people have seen for a very long time. Uh, there's always been sightings. There is actually, apparently, rock art, like ancient rock art from um, the Aboriginal people depicting these creatures mm. as well. Which, you know, a lot of people look at now and since, you know, we've done science and shit, can see that it would resemble sort of like a plesiosaur. Right. So this river where they've been spotted does connect into the ocean. So 
we know nothing about the ocean. You know, that's <laughs> we we know yeah, yeah. we know more about space than we do about the ocean and we know shit all about space right now. So that's terrifying. But as one person has said in regards to this, if these monsters were to be seen, which one of the most recent main sightings that have been seen was in 2009 and it was a 12 meter long creature, which is insane to think of. So that's just too big. That's too big to be anything else that we would think that would be in there. Mm. There's, there's, yeah, there's dates and stuff going all the way back to when people first rocked up here from England and things like that and from the European settlers, as well as Aboriginal art. Oh, by the way, protect Aboriginal art and sacred sites. Don't yeah. be a fucking dick. I'm looking at you, government. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so it's it's very strange, but one person said, you know, if this was to be seen... There would need to be a breeding population of no less than 300 in the ocean. Right. So but we know nothing about the ocean. So while that is not probable, we can't say it's impossible. Right, yes. But it's still very, you know? Yeah. The, the ocean does terrify me. Yeah. Like, whenever I think about the ocean, I think about that. I know you haven't seen it, but for those who have watched the new Aquaman, there's like a place that they go to called the depths, which is meant to be like the scariest, like depths of the ocean. Right. But like, it makes me think of like real life depth and it is terrifying. I can't even, we don't know what's down there at all. We can't get down there. Well, that's like, um, well, we look at now like blue whales. We know of blue whales. They're giant, and they're pretty as hell, but we have no idea how they live. Yeah. We only see them when they come up to the top and go down. Yeah, yeah. And that's something we know about. We know nothing about it. Yeah. So who knows what's down there that we know nothing? Because we're still discovering things and bioluminescent creatures and, you know, all kinds of weird shit. And we know that these things aren't make-believe. You yeah. Know, we have fossil proof that these things did exist. But who knows, you know? And it's terrifying. Yeah. Technology will improve and we will probably be able to see much more of the ocean than we could ever hope to imagine in the future. But, like, it's still probably not going to give us all of the answers. We probably will never, ever reach a point where we can know everything. That, well, that we can we can possibly yeah. fathom, yeah. you know? Maybe one day in the distant, distant future, who knows? But right now, it makes for very interesting podcasts. <laughs> We uh, hope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's sort of that. It's just it's just very interesting, you know, like to to think about when people see that and you're like, Well, if you didn't, what did you see? Yeah. And going back to those times, what is the art that is depicted? Yeah. You know? Well we don't we don't know for certain, but the Aboriginal culture have been here for thousands of years. Yeah. Who knows what they've seen and experienced that has been lost because we as a nation don't give a fucking shit about you know yeah anyway we're not getting into that hey oh i've got a really spooky story and one it's it's completely mythological and make-believe a government that cares (laughs) Uh, (laughs) wow spicy content here (laughs) okay look i finished my drink and that thing punched me too I really want another, though. That is... Yeah, well, do you want to pour another now? Do we, shall we? Yeah. Do we another another we'll get another one. This thing, this thing's bloody great. Yeah, I love it. Give us a sec. You're not even going to know. No. Nope. Listeners, you're just going to be like, and ready, and... Yeah, we're back. We're back. Hey, look at that. <laughs> wow. What? what do you mean, we're back? Well, I mean, we, we didn't, didn't even leave. leave. But we somehow have full drinks. <gasps> Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the last of my stories is going to be quite long. But it's very famous, and I like this story a lot. So I really wanted to tell it. It is with it. So this is the story of Baba Yaga, which is a very famous Slavic legend. This story in particular is going to be very familiar to a lot of people for two different kinds of stories, like fairy tale stories. So this one is definitely more fairy tale and, like, spooky, but more like a aw than, like, the... Kuchisake honor. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so less, hey, I'm going to murder you no matter what, to 
hey, I'll murder you, but like give you smooches at the same time. I don't know. Hit us with it. What are we doing? <laughs> okay. So if you're brave enough to go wandering into the dark forest in Eastern Europe, there's a good chance that you will happen upon a peculiar house, a wooden hut like no other that you've seen before, standing on giant chicken legs. I'm talking house moving castle style. Hey. It's the home of Baba Yaga. So a long time ago, a man lived with his beautiful daughter. Vas- okay. I don't know how to say the name, so please don't butcher me, like I'm butchering the name, probably. <laughs> so <laughs> the daughter's name is Vasilisa in a little village on the end of Baba Yaga's forest. Before the man's wife passed away, she gave Vasilisa a gift, a little rag doll that looked no different to any other. The woman told Vasilisa that she would take special care of the doll and that every night she must feed it a little bit of milk and a little biscuit so that the doll could be fit and ready to help her if she so needed it. As time went on, the man decided to remarry, and his second wife had two daughters of her own. The daughters were very jealous of Vasilisa, and they hated her terribly. As long as the man remained at home, the stepmother and stepsisters had to pretend to like Vasilisa, but every now and then, one of the sisters would whisper into Vasilisa's ear, Just wait until dear papa leaves us alone with you. Then you'll see. So Mm. are you feeling a little bit familiar with this? Mm, cheeky a little bit. Cheeky little bit of Cinderella, maybe. Cheeky, cheeky. Cinderella is actually a, a French fairy tale. So, but like all of these stories are like you know they're all adapted from a similar place and they're yeah. just told. So well, no one really has claim over any story. Yeah, that's the thing about like that I love about these old folklores, especially uh, going across Europe because there were so many different cultures throughout Europe. Mm. And one would spread to another and then it would sort of morph and they would all mix together and they would each have their own renditions of different things. But this one's like completely real. So tell us this completely real story. Yeah. When Vasilisa turned 16, her father said that he had to go away on a journey and that he'd be gone for at least a month. Vasilisa begged him to take her with him. He just laughed and said that the travel was business related and would be tiresome and dull for her. The first night after the father had left, the stepmother gathered the three girls together in the parlor and said, Now, my dears, I have a little task for each of you. Tanya, go to my room and sew a button onto my red dress. Katya, go to the kitchen table and roll some pastry so that it's nice and flat. And Vasilisa, go to Baba Yaga's hut in the forest and ask her to lend us some light. Don't waste any time. We don't want you to get caught in the dark now, do we? Leaving the house, Vasilisa took a doll out of her jacket pocket and spoke to it. Oh, little doll, my mother told me that if I fed you and looked after you, you would be ready to help me if I was ever in trouble. I have fed you and I looked after you, and now I am in terrible trouble. I must go to Baba Yaga, and everyone knows that she is dreadfully wicked. So please help me. What am I to do? The little doll spoke to her and said, Be brave as you are beautiful. Go to Baba Yaga's hut and no harm will come to you. Vasilisa mustered up the courage and walked down the path that led down the woods and to the hut of Baba Yaga. Although it was quite dark, she had no trouble seeing, for this neck of the woods was lit by skulls with blazing eyes. The skulls were mounted atop a high fence, and beyond the fence she saw a strange hut that stood on chicken legs. The house turned to face her, the legs began to kneel and the hut lowered to the ground. The door creaked open. Baba Yaga's nose was so long and bony that it appeared through the door before the rest of her. A moment or two later, the nose was followed by a tall, skinny body of a woman holding a broom. Vasilisa was so frightened that her legs would not obey her. She told them to run. The old lady came toward her, but she did not walk. Her feet flew a few inches above the ground. Well, child, she said, did the cat get your tongue? Or are you badly brought up? Speak, child. It's only me, little Vasilisa. My stepmother sent me to the forest to borrow some light from Baba Yaga. Did she now? said Baba Yaga. Well, I'm Baba Yaga, but you may call me Babushka. And Vasilisa calmed with the knowledge that Babushka means grandmother. You know, if some lady in the forest be out here saying, you call me grandma. I don't know if I would be that chill, but I would certainly be more chill than, like, 
the knowledge of her being like a full-blown witch you know yeah but like but that's a pretty witchy thing to do like it, it hey is. just call me grandma like you know <laughs> when i read it for some reason it gave me a little bit of like oh that's nice like you can call me mum you know but like not in yeah. a bad way yeah i don't know why but know. like it definitely is like creepy anyway i've, I've been super silent because i'm paying attention because this is so interesting yeah baba yaga said come with me into my hut i have some chores for you and if you're not lazy and complete your work i'll give you the light that you seek and let you go freely if you do not i shall cook you in my oven and eat you for dinner how do you like that offer Vasilisa didn't like it at all, but she had faith that everything would be well as she had her doll in her pocket reminding her. I like it well, dear Babushka, she said and followed Baba Yaga into the house. Vasilisa was asked to fetch Baba Yaga's supper, sort out her pots and pans and clean the hut. Vasilisa got to work while Baba Yaga went out the next day and she worked so efficiently that when Baba Yaga returned, she asked Vasilisa to stay another day and work for her. Vasilisa reluctantly agreed and was successful the next day as well. Baba Yaga was pleased by Vasilisa's work and said, Indeed, you are a hard-working girl. Let's see if you're clever too. Tonight, you can stay up and count the number of stars in the sky. If you tell me the right number in the morning, you can take your light and go free. But if you answer incorrectly, even if you tell me one star, too many, or too few, then I shall have you for my breakfast. That night, Vasilisa gazed out of the window and tried to count the stars, but by the time she had reached a hundred, she was no longer sure which stars she had already counted. Sobbing, Vasilisa confided in her doll. Oh, little doll, who will come to aid poor little Vasilisa this time? I cannot guess the number of stars in the sky, and in the morning the witch shall surely eat me. Don't worry, have courage and keep faith. All will be well, said the doll. Vasilisa found the number within herself, I assume. <laughs> on a piece of paper. <laughs> and when asked to recall it, she confidently told Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga laughed and said, Who told you that? Smashing a plate on the floor and holding a knife up to Vasilisa. But Babushka, you promised me that if I told you the correct number, I could take the light and go home freely. Baba Yaga retracted the knife and said, You're a good girl. You have been able to complete your tasks and even count the stars. Your spirit, therefore, must be in harmony with the universe. I will not do you any harm. Return home with the light. Baba Yaga plucked the skull with blazing eyes from the fence that lit the way through the forest and handed it to Vasilisa. Take this, it'll light up your stepmother and your stepsisters, said Baba Yaga. Vasilisa took the skull and returned home. I am home, she called, but received no reply. As soon as the light from the skull fell upon her stepmother and stepsisters, they turned to dust. Vasilisa went to live with a kind old lady in the village until her father returned from business. When he came back, he thought that his wife and stepdaughters must have just run away. He didn't miss them very much. He lived happily with his beautiful daughter Vasilisa until one day when a prince came riding by and caught sight of her. She was the most beautiful girl he had ever seen and had no hesitation in asking her to marry him which she did, and they lived happily ever after. Until she became the weeping woman! Fucking hell. <laughs> no, okay, that last bit was definitely me. I just saw the connection yeah. and got excited. Okay. Um, anyway, so that's crazy. It's interesting to see how many different yeah, like stories have come from that, though. Yeah, so one really cool thing that I found out recently from TikTok was that like there's a huge part of Baba Yaga's story where she's known to eat kids. So I, th that part of it was like Hansel and Gretel for me. Mm. But apparently the translation of like eating children was mistranslated when like interpreted into English. So we see it as a negative thing. But apparently in some stories, the eating children thing is actually meant to be she would cover them in dough and rosemary and put them in the oven, but not have the oven on. And the rosemary and things would strip out the sickness that was in the child and she would heal them essentially. Oh. And then like set them free so that they could live happily again afterwards. That's, that's so weird. Right? 
So, yeah, I, that's why I really like Baba Yaga. I think it's a really cool story. And, like, obviously there are so many different stories that could go along with oh, it. Oh, yeah. But, like, that in particular, the kind of, like, we have misinterpreted the story potentially, I like that a lot. Yeah, especially, like, because over time, like, things change. Language changes. Yeah. Uh, you would know being a linguist. Yeah, so uh, especially having a PhD working toward, like, fairy tales and things like that, like... For the most part, fairy tales were recited from mouth. They they weren't written down. So for a lot of stories, that's why we have so many different versions because they were told by different people and, you know, different storytellers found different meaning in certain parts. So they would emphasize those parts and then that would be like the main bit of the story. But, you know, other people would have a different version. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've heard of Baba Yaga before. Mm. I know of the chicken house. Mm. But the and and the broom when you said about the broom, but the story that I've heard is she actually uses the broom to push herself along in a, in a pot. Yeah, in a pot, in a mortar. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, like just it's like getting over it with Baba Yaga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gonna be in the thumbnail for our video. <laughs> oh, you're gonna Photoshop that? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like that's sort maybe that's another one. So we've got Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel getting over it. <laughs> you know, classic fairy tales. <laughs> I thought we'd finish up with sort of a, a bit. This is this is a classic. Yeah. If you're an Australian, we're looking at the bunyip. Yay! Good old bunyip. I love the bunyip. So, uh, for those that don't know, the bunyip is sort of like a, a like a mythical creature, but it's actually from Aboriginal mythology. So, you know, a lot of people go, "Oh yeah, bunyip." Some people have, like, I, I've honestly, so many people I know have got it confused with the bilby. What the hell? They're completely different. I don't know. It starts with a B. I don't know. But, like, they're going to have a rude I've told awakening. People, I've told people when they're like, oh, you're bunyips. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is like the little bunny rabbit. I'm like, you fucking, you better hope it's not a little bunny rabbit. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> so, so the main thing about the bunyip is it is said to lurk through like billabongs, creeks, swamps and stuff like that, like around water. So it was like a water-dwelling creature, I suppose, but very, very large. And it would jump out and just eat shit, just like eat ravage shit. shit. It was it was just like this thing was bloody crazy. So it it was I think initially said to be like a water spirit. Yeah. But very, very large and it was initially told when, uh, like, it's it's been in Aboriginal uh, story times and stuff like that for a very long time across a lot of different tribes and, and a lot of different peoples. But when, maybe, you know what, maybe this is where it comes from. I don't know. When um, England was like, hey, we own the world, let's, like, dump our convicts over here. That was something that was told to them about the bunyip. And it sort of snowballed because a lot of the Europeans they were seeing things like kangaroos and shit and they've never seen that and they were hearing noises that they've never heard before kookaburras magpies all that kind of stuff you know we've got a lot of things that make some cool noises yeah koalas don't make cool noises they're fucking terrifying terrifying definitely (laughs) um but because there were so many different noises and calls from creatures it sort of played on their minds about, oh, maybe the bunyip's real? Like, are we hearing the bunyip right now? I don't know. And maybe, you know, maybe that's where we get our whole drop bears and hoop snakes from, you know? Yeah. Just, like, fucking with foreigners. Yeah. So, you know, shout out. Um, shout the out, original landowner. No, I was going to say shout out <laughs> the original landowners. <laughs> Not the bunyip, the original landowners. <laughs> For f- the original pranksters. <laughs> yeah. Fucking... Yeah, they're they're out here fucking with the white people. Well done. So so that's sort of where it was. And during the about mid eighteen hundreds, there were so many sightings all up like the Murray Darling and things like that of what people believe to have been the bunyip. Mm-hmm. They're not too sure if it was because you know there was they couldn't explain certain things or because more people started talking about it and it started getting into different things like newspapers and circulation and stuff like that, that people were like, 
oh yeah, that must have been a bunyip, when really it was probably just a crocodile eating an emu or a kangaroo or something, and they were like, oh, no, that's not two creatures, that's one or something, I don't know. Yeah. But one thing that was very interesting, and then also I facepalmed quite hard at this, (laughs) is in 1930 there was some fossilised bones found. It was a quadruped much larger than such as an ox or a buffalo or something like that. It's a huge creature that was found in there by uh, one of the, like a bushman, you know, because back then people just were like, hey, let's explore Australia because it's big and dangerous. Yeah. So that was found, like these fossilised remains. You know, maybe now we might be able to go, okay, it might have been dinosaur remains or something like that. There's not too much more information on it, but... This is the good old facepalm. Good old John Dunmore Lang, who was a Sydney, uh, the Sydney's reverend. Bloody Sydney folk. Fucking Sydney. He announced that these bones that were found as convincing proof of the deluge. So referring to the biblical accounts of the flood. Right. So in other words, hey, here's something I don't understand. Um, let's make it a Jesus reference. Let's, let's, yeah, let's take that shit for Christianity. So yeah, so that sort of made me face bump. But it, it's very interesting. The bunyip is crazy. And like, there's so many stories behind it. And I love hearing different dream time and uh, like the myths and stuff like that from Aboriginal culture. Yeah. Because it is so varying to so many other things, especially everything that you've read. Like a lot of your stuff was like, you know, European and there was some Eastern culture stuff. But yeah, their stories are so amazing. How do you feel about how this went? Oh, this was you had good. A good time. I'm terrified though. Some of your story, like I don't want to meet the person with the mask and the fucking the kushisake. Yeah, nah. Um, that that was the one that got me the most. I think that was that yeah. was terrifying. Yeah, I I a lot of Japanese folklore and things like that are really horrific. Like the the spider woman person. Oh, that like, her cheek explodes with spiders? Yeah. I read about that and the person that got ran over by a, by a train and cut in half. Yeah. So she goes around and cuts other people in half because lol, I did, so you can too. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of their ones are, oh, you've seen me? Well, too bad, you're fucked now. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. There's, <laughs> there's, you, no, you there's no escape. <laughs> yeah. This podcast was based on the Corpse Revival, which was a prohibition drink. So something that we want to talk about now, I suppose, is for November's podcast, at least, we want to do a kind of prohibition month because there have been a lot of really cool drinks that I've found that originated from the prohibition that I really want to try and I think have really cool themes that would be fun to do for this month coming. Absolutely. No like particular reason for it to be in November specifically, but just I'm excited and at least four cool cocktails, you know, that we can have cool chats about. I'm pumped. The prohibition era is really exciting for both of us. I think mostly for you, I would say, because... I, I loved the whole, like, jazz bars and stuff like that. Um, but plus, I'm, you just played Mafia, which is I set in that time. I just played Mafia, which is set in that time. But that whole underworld stuff terrifies and excites me. It's, yeah. it's so amazing to see what happened and the absolute power that they had. It was insane. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, something that you can look forward to with the podcast, at least, is to have kind of those drinks. If you can think of any that you would like and would like to suggest them to us, please feel free, whether you're watching this on YouTube or watching this on a streaming platform, We are available to you on Instagram. We have Spirit of Conversation on Instagram. Yeah, so you can chat to us there. Otherwise, if you're part of our communities on our separate discords, we have spaces for that. But we do have some cocktails lined up, which I'm very excited to chat about. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be good fun. We're going to have some good drinks, some good chats. And yeah, like for everyone that honestly, literally everyone that comes and joins us and tunes in and has a bit of a chill... I hope you have as much of a chill vibe as we're wanting to portray. This is, I I absolutely love doing this. This is our second one, but it's so good to just be able to chat. Yeah. And I just want to say how absolutely thrilled and thankful I am that there was such a positive response to our first podcast. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you enough how appreciative I am of your support And how proud I am of the podcast and how excited I am that you guys responded in a way 
that makes us feel like this is definitely something that we should be doing, you know? Yeah, shout out everyone that Bloody watched. Bloody shout out or listeners. listeners. There's no watching. What the fuck? I'm I'm too I'm too hit with the times, you know. Uh huh. So the platforms that you are able to watch us on, if the whatever platform you're listening to right now is not right for you, we are available on the Anchor app, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Republic, and Spotify. We are also available on YouTube if you would like to listen on YouTube. And hopefully we'll be on a few more if I can get my act together. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe one day, you know, if anyone wants to, like, you know, sponsor us and stuff, maybe we can start doing some video podcasts on YouTube. Ooh. Ooh. Heckin' woo. Who knows? We'll we'll see how we go. We'll Um, see. You this know, alcohol won't pay for itself, baby. Yeah, this. Come on, <laughs> look, Kraken. If you want to sponsor us, you know we're down. Um, any of our favorite drinks, you know, Starwood. I'm looking at you, Jenna and Julian. We still haven't heard from you. If you want <laughs> to, <laughs> if you want to jump on, you know, we we will still have you. Well, yes um, is still our answer. Yeah, but you know, it's it might it might turn to a maybe. So you better you better jump on this train while <laughs> it's choo chewing. Yeah, exactly. Oi. <laughs> Tell your friends about us. Tell them to listen to us. Listen to us multiple times. Just do it, okay? Please, we love you. Hey, hope you have a, an amazing week. Oh, yeah, we'll happy. see you next happy week. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy birthday, pumpkin. Thank you. Bye.